everyone, and welcome again to Submitting for Your Approval, a Twilight Zone podcast. I am Brandon Cruz, and with me today, uh, I have a an all-around talented woman. She, co-hosts, she co-hosts the Everything's Coming Up podcast with Julia Prescott, where they talk about my second favorite show of all time, The Simpsons. Actually, they're, they're really close to each other. Uh, she's also a musician and comedian. Her first album, Cosby Sweater, was released in 2013, and her second a Rick and Morty concept album, also up there with my favorite shows, Sad Dance Songs, came out in December of 2015. A super warm welcome, Miss Allie Gertz. Hello, Allie. Hi. Hello. Thank you for having me. No, thank you. Thank you for coming on to the show. Uh, we, we, we've we been talking for a little, almost a year now, and so uh, it, it's nice to actually to get you on the show. I'm very excited. And yes, we have the same favorite TV shows. Twilight Zone is actually, um, yeah, it, it's honestly, I couldn't tell you if I liked Simpsons or Twilight Zone better. Simpsons is just more of my expertise. Right, right. I, the, you know, I, you have this, you have the Simpsons show and I just, I, I have so many just sporadic Simpsons quotes just in my life. And there's just so many episodes of it that I, I can never remember where where some of those quotes come from anymore. <laughs> I know it, it. Sometimes the worst thing is when you think it's your own joke and you're just like, I'm so funny. Uh, Simpsons did it. Simpsons. <laughs> I, uh, I have a, on a mug at work, the, a, Sim, a Homer quote that says, uh, I, oh shit, how did it go? Goes, uh, sometimes I wish somebody would call me sir without followed by you're making a scene. Yes, exactly. So, well, I, I screwed that quote up. Whatever. Uh, Homer says it better. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I really appreciate you coming on the show. And today we're going to talk about a famous one, probably up, up there along with Burgess Meredith, uh, Burgess Meredith's best, uh, Eye of the Beholder, uh, originally aired November 11th, 1960, stars Donald Douglas as Janet Tyler after she gets revealed, uh, Maxine Stewart as Janet Tyler, hey, uh, before she gets revealed, when she's bandaged up, and then William D. Gordon as the doctor, Dr. Bernoulli. Um, directed by Douglas Hayes, is another one out of his nine episodes, and teleplay by Rod Serling. Now, for a synopsis, uh, this will be real quick. I mean, we find ourselves in a hospital, and it's just the every room in this hospital is is darkly lit for some reason and a young woman has just gone through another surgery her 11th surgery to make herself beautiful uh it's not the first time she's taken but according to the doctors it's her last chance so after a bit of tension building on on part of the filmmakers it's time to take the bandages off uh slowly they take the bandages off and janet is revealed to actually be an extremely beautiful woman and the doctors, the lights turn on. Doctors and nurses, they're all pig-faced, monster-looking guys. <laughs> uh, but uh, so she, she, she screams, she runs away, she's upset that she doesn't look beautiful like them, and she runs into the arms of a handsome guy. I, I'm assuming he's handsome to, to the females out there. Um, and he's going to take her away to a camp where outsiders, ugly people like her, uh, can come together as a family. What I wouldn't pay to go to that camp. Uh, I, I know. Oh my god. I, I probably wouldn't be welcome to that camp either. <laughs> <laughs> They'd be like, uh, actually, we have a third camp. 
for <laughs> for average looking people. Uh, so so uh, Allie, what what do you think of the show? What do you think of this episode? I mean, like you said, this episode is one of, if not the most famous episodes of The Twilight Zone. I mean, even probably even more than Time Enough at last, I would think, because if someone hasn't seen this episode, all you have to say is, yeah, you have pig faces. And they're just like, <laughs> oh, pig faces, of course. Uh, pig face, duh, duh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, speaking of The Simpsons, um, you know, there are so many references um, of The Twilight Zone in The Simpsons, and mm-hmm. you get a... Uh, reference in the Simpsons with this when Krusty is getting uh, his boob job, uh, <laughs> which is which is great. Am I complaining about the breasts? Um, so it's one of those episodes. I, I I was one of those kids that knew every single Twilight Zone episode that was being referenced on Simpsons. It's not like I saw the Simpsons and was like, what is this? And found it out later. Right, right. Um, so I was very excited when um, they parodied this because it's one of the greats. And um, I love this episode. It's uh, always as good as you remember, if not better. I mean, it's very impressive the way that it's directed. Of course, that's kind of why it's so famous is, you know, you have an entire episode where you don't realize that this woman is beautiful and the, and the men and women working there are all pig doctors. Yeah. It's, it also rings sadly true still today. And, uh, that's kind of what the twilight zone and Rod Serling, uh, do best is kind of do these themes that are so prolific and beautiful that they sadly <laughs> exist and will continue to work forever. Yeah, you're ab- absolutely right. You know, the, uh, we, we talk about watching this episode over and over again, and I would say this is, you know, I hate to be cliche, but it's probably one of my my favorites, if not my favorite episode. It's uh, popular for a reason. Yeah, and and so rewatching it, you know, you because you already know what the, what the twist is, you start paying attention to like looking for the seams, like looking for the zipper on the back of the monster, right? And we're like, okay, where you look at the tricks, we're like, okay, they're covering up this doctor's face here, or they zoom into the the cigarette pack so you don't see the nurse's face. I love that, and uh, there is one there is one moment, and it's pretty quickly um, followed by the reveal. So you might argue that it was intentional, but there is one moment right before they're taken off the bandages that you can see the brow of the doctor is extremely protruded. Oh yeah. Um, so that was the one time that I was just like, oh, you could kind of see it there. But of course, this woman. The patient is so frantic and so concerned that, of course, your eyes would only be on her yeah. in that moment. Yeah, and I think it's I think it's super effective. Um, I, this Pokemon distracted me for a second. I think it's super effective, just with whenever she's in the bandages, right? And she's she's, you know, she's going through her monologue type stuff, talking about you know not conforming and and being laughed at or or screamed at in horror, right? But yeah. but she's in bandages, and you can't like how effective the uh, Douglas Hayes was as a director to get us to focus on her just a faceless image essentially and and really kind of cloak everybody else in that shadow they they put the light on her and so you 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 start to not pay attention to the the doctors even yeah. even after seeing the episode multiple times well the best thing about it to me is that um you know even without the twist let's say that she were actually a conventionally unattractive woman and everyone else was beautiful 
the the decision to make everyone obscured I mean, no one's, you can't see anyone's face for most of this episode. Yeah. Um, it makes you, it demands you to care about their feelings. And there's that one moment where that one nurse towards the end will say, you know, it just makes it easier for me to think of her as human when her face is covered up. Yeah. And that's true for a lot of people. That's actually one of the reasons I think podcasting works and Twitter works yeah. as well as it does is because not that we're, not that we're like meaning to, but even even just something visual kind of distracts us from, from the intent of, uh, like music or podcast or jokes, you know, cause you're, you're, you're having all your preconceived notions kind of murky the message and it, it it's a great, uh, an interesting choice. Yeah. You, you mentioned, mentioned Twitter. Uh, I've always had this, this idea of kind of like text-based misconceptions, right? Where you should never have an argument with a significant other or a friend on just through text, right? Because you, you put so much of yourself, you project so much of yourself into the words that you're writing that, or that somebody else is writing that you're like, Hey, wait a minute. They're being a jerk to me right now. Where, um, and and Twitter, I think with comedy is, is a little bit like that too, where, where people apply their own sensibilities to the words. And so it's delivered in a way that that person would think is funny. So maybe you said it kind of dry sarcastic, but the person's like, oh, they're really, I don't know, exaggerated or <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah, no, it's, it's really true though. Um, what did you, uh, okay. So we, we talked about the shadows and we, we talked a little bit about just her face being bandaged up, um, in, in the effectiveness of that. Um, what did you, do you remember what your thought was the first time you saw the episode? I would have seen it when I was a really little kid and my guess is it's something, you know, the way that memories work when you're a little kid are like certain things stick out to you. So I, I feel like I kind of knew the pig faces were coming because I think maybe family had told me, or maybe I just knew that that's something that happened in the twilight zone. Um, I know, but <laughs> it didn't feel spoilery if I did know it was, it was shocking and it still is shocking. Even when you see, um, people dress up in cool costumes of these characters, Mm-hmm. Um, for example, a really funny Twitter woman named Danny Fernandez and her husband did a couple costumes. She dressed up as Rod Serling and he dressed up as one of the pig faced guys. It was okay. really cool. Okay. I, think but, I, I think I saw that actually. Yeah, it was really well done. Um, but uh, it's just to this day, the prosthetic makeup that's going on there is so creepy. That's honestly like one of my favorite things about the twilight zone is that because they obviously don't have CGI or any kind of special effect other than like practical effects, they actually hold up really, really, really well. And they stay scary because it also makes you like use your own imagination to kind of like fill things in. It's, it's still scary and it's, you know, it's sad, but rewatching this episode, um, I realized that I didn't, I didn't ever really pick up on the political, background of this episode like you know as a kid i don't think even if you grow up in a pretty political household that talks about presidential stuff and this and that um i don't think i remembered until this viewing that this was all because of who was running the country and in this episode or maybe even the world it's hard to say but um 
the idea of this very militant man who is like determined on us being a single virtue and like we must cut out all that is different like that is so un-american and i know that you know rod serling like you know, such an American who has such strong values and, you know, all these very politically charged episodes. I didn't remember this as being one of them, but it totally is. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's, I think it's interesting because, you know, the doctor, uh, at, at some point in time in the episode starts, he's, he's sympathetic to her. Right. He's like, you know, uh, he feels bad that she's, she's so ugly and she, she has to go away and, and that things haven't worked out for her. And then the, the nurse says, well, you need to you need to slow down that talk. That's treason, right? That's treasonous. Yeah, yeah. He's he's saying, you know, this is right after that nurse says it's easier for me to think of her as human when her face is covered up, and it, it launches him into that really great, great argument, which is, but why? Like, why is that true? Why shouldn't people be allowed to be different? She says, be careful. He's just like, I know, I know, treason, and it's so scary. Like, that's truly terrifying. Like the confinement, um, it. It really is a fear. Yeah, and we're we're expected at the end of the episode, I think, to be like, okay, well, she's she's found herself in a community that will support her, and they can all support each other. But just with with the backdrop of the leader, they call him the leader, you know, just spouting the stuff about conformity and cutting out all that's different. Like it, although the the ep, the end of the episode is kind of like this positive, oh, they're gonna be okay you still have this kind of dictator in the background who wants to get rid of all the stuff that's different. So, so why we shouldn't assume that things are going to end up happy for those guys in the long run. If that makes sense. I, I never saw it as a happy ending because although we find them attractive as is the irony in this episode, mm-hmm. She cowers when she sees him uh, to the point of having to be told, like, he's not going to hurt you. And so I just imagine, like, it's it's not too dissimilar from, like, if you're a kid that ends up having to go into, like, a remedial class or something where all the kids are bad. And it's just like, well, great. Like, now I just have to be with all the other losers. (laughs) It's it's the worst because, like, you that's actually not what helps. I mean, what helps is to um, immerse everybody with each other and to, like, focus on other areas of her life. But yeah, I mean, she's, she's been condemned. And as she says, like, this is like, you know, it's, it's like a cancer. She's, it's like a, like a leper society. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's not a paradise. It's not a vacation. I mean, you hope based on like the, the very like affectionate looks they give each other and, you know, he's stroking her arm. He's, he's got like a very kind of sultry and like flirtatious, but still comforting and appropriate, tone with her Mm -hmm. that everything will be okay but i mean it's still very very sad yeah i i it's 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 weird because i i I do think that like i I think rod is saying um okay you know okay they're they're being kind of put off into their own they're being segregated from society right um and that that conformity is bad, and and obviously we're talking about he he's talking about beauty on the the surface here in the episode, but the conformity I think goes a little bit deeper than that. His his notion of hey, con, uh, cutting out all that's different is not is not good aside from beauty, right? So you talk about like academia or or um, even com- comedy, right? Like there's different types of comedy. 
they can't be just one. There can't just be uh, all airplane movies. You... There should be. <laughs> yeah. Airplane movies are great. Except, except uh, Airplane 2, maybe. maybe. Yeah, just the first airplane. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But no, I mean, that's what I was saying when I was referring to this episode as being non not the episode, but the leader and the um, society, how they run. It's very um, un-American. Like, America is all about being a melting pot and having all these different opportunities for truly everybody. I mean, that's the goal. It's, we don't always achieve it. But yeah. the the best part about uh, America, and I'm not even someone that would consider herself to be a patriotic person, um, you know, when, when comparing it to, um, you know, uh, communism, which is also, in theory, something that works. But, um, you know, it is... Uh, it's, it's truly, uh, limiting and just, you know, it, it's, it's just bad. It's bad and it's scary and it's not the way that we live. And, you know, it just speaks for so much more than like you said, it being like just based on looks like it, it could truly stand for anything. Yeah. Uh, it could also choose, it could also work for race. I mean, we talked yeah. to, she uses the word ghetto. I mean, this isn't that crazy to look at it. Uh, if you want to look at it, like in terms of like world war two, like there are lots of different ways to look at this episode that I hadn't really considered before. Right. Uh, just, uh, sorry for my cat, by the way, my cat's kind of meowing in the background. No, no, it, it's okay. She, uh, is it she, he, he, his name is Faraday. Okay. He nice from, from Lost. Nice. Okay. Yeah. But if I'm trying to impress people, I say the physicist, <laughs> Uh, well, I'm, he, I know he has some good inputs too, so uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get him at the tail end of the show. Tail end. Tail, I get it. <laughs> uh, so uh, last week tonight on John Oliver, the last um, obviously we're this is airing a little bit after the actual episode of John Oliver, the the October thirtieth episode. But he talks about uh, the segregation in schools, right? How it's actually still going on, uh, but not in the South, more in the the Northeast. Um, and, and how, and how, uh, ineffective and actually hurtful it is for students because when you, when you, when you segregate people off, you don't get the diversity. You don't understand the, um, the different issues that an alternate, uh, different races go through. Right. Yeah, absolutely. That's something that they talked about on This American Life as well. Um, that was like a few months ago, maybe like six months ago or something. There was an episode that was talking about like this absence of the middle class when it comes to how we separate students and that, you know, um, students that typically tested low, uh, you know, uh, would do better if if mixed racially, like if you are mixing them with people that come from higher income and lower income, white or black and everything in between, like they do better, like, because they're treated better, not like they're lepers, not like they're, you know, not like there's something intrinsically wrong with someone. It's so scary that this is something that still happens in 2016. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and they found that, you know, the, the white students, they didn't score any lower, but, uh, uh, other students, their scores actually raised in, in the mixed environments. This must have been the same um, source because that's yeah. exactly what this is saying as well. Cool. Cool. Well, something that I want to talk about in this episode, uh, if I can, is just um, how tragic her plea is and just the need to be normal and how important that is to so many people, especially in the 50s, like especially in the 50s 
because, you know, until, until the sixties come along, like you don't want to, like everyone has their hair perfectly primmed. Everyone has the same type of dresses to, to be different is to be a risk. And you do want to fit that mold. Like that is kind of where our country is. Even if America does want you to be able to, um, you know, do your own thing, like, you know, you want to be the nuclear family. You, that's why people weren't getting divorced. That's why people weren't, that's why not that many people were artists yet, even though there were some, you know, and, yeah. uh, she has that really relatable, um, moment where she's just, you know, she's begging and she's actually like holding on to the doctor at this point. And she says like, I just want to make believe I'm normal. I want to belong. I want to be like everybody. And it's so sad. And I know that so many people do this. And this is something that I see a lot too. Like, um, and like high school kids, yeah. like this is why, this is why a lot of kids do drugs or like why a lot of kids do like wear stupid clothes that they'll never wear or like, <laughs> like stupid things and stupid trends. It's cause everyone else is doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I think we've all been in, in a situation at some point in our lives where we're like, okay, this is going, this trend or this group of people is doing something. And, and I, why, why can't, why can't I be a part of that? Right. Like, exactly. Just, just from a distance. And I think that's one of the, the powerful things about this episode is that we can relate to her need to want to fit in, to want to be part of something, something greater. Right. And, and uh, I'm not a religious man, but I, I do envy sometimes that that communal experience in religion like being a part of something where it's just uh, they all get together as a family and they're one big family um, yeah of course there's actually that's why there exists uh, a few atheist churches because there are people that were religious that um decide in their lives that they don't believe in god anymore and so um that's great and good and helpful to their lives but they still miss this part of their life which was going to church every day it's like this social thing they all they all get to believe in something that obviously makes them feel very very good because there's this promise of you know a much better life after this one who wouldn't want to believe that yeah. but um People, people miss that kind of stuff. And so they, they actually have made churches like that for people to go to. But, um, I, I understand the envy. I have it too. Sometimes, uh, I didn't grow up with religion at all, so I, I don't really know what I'm missing. Yeah. Um, but I know my friends that were like born in the South and then come, came here, became, you know, comedians fell out of touch with their religion. Like right. they miss that stuff. I, I, I understand their need to feel normal. Yeah. And then there's the other part of me that says, well, I don't actually want to get up in the morning to, <laughs> to go to, to go to church. So just like Homer, the heretic, <laughs> it's just, it's just, I, I would rather not. It's just, it's easier for my laziness. Um, okay. Well, uh, so I always ask everybody to rate the episode overall in whatever scale you desire. What do you rate this episode? I would give this episode uh, nine out of ten bandages. <laughs> nice, nine out of ten bandages, like hot, hot heat. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, I I'm with you there. I, I I was going nine out of ten bandaged women. Uh, ah. Uh, so we're on we're on the same uh, page. Same. It sounds like something Trump would say. Same. <laughs> uh, hey. Um, <laughs> I know I give it like nine and a half out of, out of 10. Uh, yeah. It's such a good episode. Yeah. It, 
it it's it's it is iconic for a reason. Those those pig faces, you know, there's a reason at Disneyland, Disney World, Disneyland for another month or so, uh, that the pig faces are the only kind of reference to Twilight Zone in the merchandise for Twilight Zone Tower of Terror. I was just on that ride uh yesterday. You oh God. I hate you. I mean <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm envious of you. I want to fit in with you on the exactly <laughs> uh well goodbye to tower of terror it's gonna be uh deeply missed guardians of the galaxy will be cool though we'll all have fun well yeah it'll, it'll, it'll still be fun it just won't be the same it won't uh all right cool well any any final thoughts about the episode no i just think that it's an episode that will as he says at the end will be true uh in 10 years and 100 years it's something that will always always ring true because there will always be an inherent desire to be seen as normal and beautiful um based on what the standards are because that's the funny thing too just in terms of um of physical beauty how different the idea of what is beautiful um is so it changes so much. I mean, you look at when women are supposed to be stick thin Mm -hmm. and when it's weird to be curvy, then you get mad men come out and, you know, we start to embrace curves again. And then we kind of keep going through these different phases. And I think we're getting towards the right direction. If Trump comes or if he did, if Trump won, (laughs) if, if we are living in a Trump world, um, (laughs) I think this episode should be mandatory viewing. All uh, hail president Trump. (laughs) It is going to change a lot of the way that the world works especially women especially just how we look at uh you know the the most shallow parts of our existence um so i i am very curious to see (laughs) when this uh who wins or who won abortions for some miniature (laughs) flags for everyone exactly uh (laughs) well don't blame me i voted for kodos that's Mm -hmm. a right in right in ballot there exactly all right. Well, 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 thank you so much for that, Allie. I appreciate you, you talking about that, but I want to, I want to, I want to flip the script. And that might be the second time I've said that on this show or a third time. We'll, we'll see. Uh, only get four. <laughs> oh no. Uh, let me mark it off. My, my flip the script checklist. All right. Tally. Uh, I want to, I want to talk to you about you getting, getting, getting right into it. Uh, Okay, so I read that you got your start over at Chat Roulette. Yes. That that's so that's accurate. Uh, yes. First first question: do Do you miss that? Do you miss Chat Roulette? I do. I love Chat Roulette. Um, it was a really good time. It was weird, of course, <laughs> but it was a good time. It was a lonely time, but it was a good time, and. Um, yeah, I mean, I was in college and I didn't really want to put my music out on YouTube yet. Mm. Um, and I met this person on Chat Roulette who was wearing a Mark Marin shirt and I had a hunch she might like it. And I sang him my comedian song where I list the different comedians I love. And this was kind of before I was really aware of like the comedy scene in L.A. really. Mm. I was still living in Long Beach and um, he convinced me to post it on YouTube and Pat Oswalt and uh, Rob Hubel and Paul Shear and a bunch of other comedians that I mentioned saw it. And right. uh, I was really lucky. I ended up on Huffington Post and a few other places. And I just kind of never stopped. That, that, that's awesome. I had never been on Chat Roulette. But, you know, I'd, just from a pop culture perspective, I knew about it. Right. And, uh, yeah, I was just, it was just such an interesting concept. 
and how successes can come out of that and you you being one of the successes of course um so you from there you went uh you started putting stuff on youtube um you know you got all these uh, celebrities to retweet and repost your your stuff right uh, at what at what point in time did um did you start moving into like the podcasting realm was it right around that same period or no, it was much later. Um, I started my Twin Peaks podcast, um, I guess, two years ago, two or three. Yeah, it must have been two years ago. Yeah. And um, Fire Talk With Me. Yes, Fire Talk With Me. I've still never seen Fire Walk With Me because I have to wait for the podcast to do it with Jeremy. <laughs> uh, but my co-host Jeremy and I um, were out one night. And I'd never tried podcasting really. Mm. Um, I'd been guests on a lot of podcasts and knew I enjoyed talking <laughs> and, and sharing my perspective mm-hmm. and hoped people would be interested in following along kind of. And, um, yeah, I started a Twin Peaks podcast where uh, I was watching the show for my very first time. And Jeremy, who's a film critic, was kind of going through it critically um, without ever spoiling who it was. And I, I was completely non-spoiled. Um, I got to experience it as if I was watching it for the very first time when it came out. It was super fun. And then after that, uh, my friend Julia and I decided we both happened to have the same idea to have a Simpsons podcast. Um, I had thought it'd be cool to ask people about their favorite episode instead of going episode by episode. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. I, I think the, the asking about the favorite episode, I think lends itself to getting a, a I mean, there's just so many damn episodes of the Simpsons, uh, 600, did they just pass 600 mark recently? Yes. Um, that there's just everybody there. There's so many episodes to have a different favorite episode for, for folks. And you've had, so, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Sorry. I, I um, you're all good. I just couldn't hear you for a second. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, I was just going to say like, uh, you know, you have, you've had so many different guests on there already. Uh, the, the last episode I, I listened to was Weird Al Yankovic, right? Yes. You had him on there. Crazy. Um, that, and that, that's awesome. Like what, what is it like to, to talk to people about the Simpsons? Like what, how was that for you? It's the coolest thing ever. Talking about The Simpsons is something that I do naturally. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, just is the easiest way to kind of break any barriers of what do you talk about when you're talking to a new friend? Because, you know, if you like The Simpsons, you know you're going to be pals forever. <laughs> and um, it's really true because if, if you have the same sensibilities about comedy and emotions and uh, what's funny to you, like that's a really great building block for a good friendship. Or at least it makes it less painful when you're talking talking to somebody you don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you can use so many references just to get through a con- you, I mean, you can have an entire conversation just in Simpsons references. Um, and when you find those people, then, you know, yeah, I'm never going to, I'm never going to forget you. Like, like one of my buddies from Korea, he just, he just he talks to me in Simpsons gifts using Frankiac. Frankiac is a godsend. Yes. Uh, um, what uh, are are there any other folks who are um, who are coming up on the show? Like who has really kind of I don't know surprised you? That's a stupid question. 
Uh, well, my, uh, I could say that the guests that uh, were the most exciting for us were, of course, Weird Al. That was a huge life-changing event. That was very cool. He was super nice. Um, but my favorite guests have been the people that worked on The Simpsons. It was It's the coolest thing in the entire world that um, Julia and I get to talk to the people that actually wrote and made the funniest jokes and episodes of all time. It's the coolest thing in the entire world and it honestly makes me feel very proud and very excited because i watched the commentary on all these episodes as a kid with my dad and my whole family and it was just so great so anyone that's worked on the show has been a huge huge honor um especially josh weinstein and bill oakley um when i was a kid i was going through like when the simpsons first came out right and my 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 grandmother was like, ah, oh, this is so awful. It's so awful. These <laughs> these these cartoons are so adult oriented, and it's it's such a str- strange thing that it's come so far, and it's now just it's it's the the new normal, I guess. Like Simpsons changed the way we viewed cartoons a little bit, uh, paving the way for like Family Guy and and all the the uh, the, the Cartoon Network stuff. Uh, adult swim and what have you. Yeah, totally. Um, so you, you've, you're a musician as well. Uh, your, your first, your first album, Cosby sweater, uh, came, came out. Um, what do this stuff was crowdsourced, right? So your first album was crowdsourced. Um, Uh, yes, both. What, what was, um, what was the, the idea behind it? The, the Genesis behind your, um, the first album or second album even? Uh, the first album, uh, I was approached to make by Adam Bush. Uh, he's in this really great band called common rotation. And he was also an actor on Buffy, the vampire slayer. Um, I was a big fan of his and he saw my stuff on YouTube and he and, uh, his friend, Brian Spicer, who works with, they might be giants and indigo girls, um, liked my stuff. And basically I just took all my songs that I'd already written. Uh, you know, at the time my band name was Cosby sweater and, um, it was always kind of like a high fidelity reference. And then of course I changed the name when it became a, uh, sore subject or something <laughs> that would be offensive to people. Right. And, um, you know, uh, I had always just been writing these nerdy love songs and, uh, I really liked that Adam and Brian took it seriously and they didn't see it as gimmicky. They just saw it as like, this is real songwriting. It just happens to be about something that is, um, comedic. You know, because I they're all they're very earnest to me. Like, I understand that it's funny, like when I say the word tromboner in the Millhouse song. But at the same time, like, it's just a song about an underdog that I think is very relatable to people. Somebody tries and fails all the time. And, um, you know, you'll never win. Like, I think that's funny, but I also think it's sad. I think it's true. Yeah. And so that was that first album. And then it was all acoustic. Um, There were um, really cool uh, violinists and different, uh, like different instrumentals going on in the background that were really cool for that one. My second album, um, I had actually funny enough decided, um, for a very brief window of my life that I really didn't want to sing about cartoons anymore. I was kind of sick of my, my act. I was kind of feeling like, okay, well, I know these songs are earnest and they're real and they're genuine, but at the same time, like, do I really want to be pigeonholing myself and singing this stuff? But then I saw Rick and Morty and it changed 
everything. It was the coolest show. It was so funny. It was so dark. Yeah. Uh, it had so much nihilism that was like very um, attractive and, and cool for a TV show that I hadn't really seen before. And um, I started writing this song, um, and I just on the guitar like I always do. Mm-hmm. But I was thinking it'd be really cool if I could have um, samples kind of like in a lot of rap songs that I love. I love how like Kanye like samples a bunch of like cool um, old songs and then has like this contemporary feel. I kind of wanted to do the opposite and bring new stuff into my sound that already existed. Huh. And um, so I use samples in a lot of the songs and um, I got a MIDI keyboard and I kind of just taught myself how to play it. I already knew how to play piano a little bit, but I taught myself how to do what ended up being like electro pop. And so I, I programmed all the beats and the bass and all the different sections. And after one song was do- done, I decided to do four more and I did a Kickstarter and I brought on my friend, Sebastian Bach, uh, not the Sebastian Bach, but these, the Sebastian <laughs> Bach. Oh my God. Not the, <laughs> but a very cool one. And, um, he helped me, um, produce it and he helped me um write the bridge for um the mr poopy butthole song which is actually probably my favorite one but uh i did the kickstarter for it or the gofundme whatever i did um basically because i wanted to have accountability to finish it i write a lot of half songs and i really knew that i needed to get it out there and so by making it so that people could truly sue me if i didn't finish i thought (laughs) it would help me get it done and it works uh, yeah, the ability to see you is, is is way more effective than just saying like, "Hey guys, I'm gonna do this. Don't let me not do it." Uh, the the fear exactly. the fear of losing money is is probably a better motivator. Totally. Uh, yeah, that's you. You mentioned the you you not wanting to pigeon your pigeonhole yourself in in singing about cartoons, right? But I think you not but I you you managed to not pigeonhole yourself by, okay, you're still singing about cartoons, but you changed your, your genre of music. And so that's how you, you know, you reinvented yourself a little bit. We're still sticking to the core of who you are. If that makes sense. Thank you. So, I really appreciate that. So I, so I think that's, I think that's really cool. Plus it's Rick and Morty. So it's <laughs> the best. Yes. It's so good. Funny enough. I was actually going to make a twilight zone concept album with bad robot back in the day. Oh, hot damn. But um, they ended up getting the rights to a very big franchise, and (laughs) so they ended up shifting their focus. But uh, that is something that I hope to still do down the line. All right. Well, as as long as you as long as you just like let me just do like one noise, and then you're like, okay, all right, Brandon, you can have that one noise, and it'll just be like, (laughs) just be like, dude, you just sample dude (laughs) and, and throw it in there. Um. Is is there anything else that you're working on that you can tell us about uh, or or that you can hint about? Um, not yet, but I do have stuff that is cooking. Okay. All right. I, can... I will say I will say just about the Simpsons podcast. Uh, we are going to be joining Feral Audio. Uh, until now, uh, Julia and I have been running the Simpsons podcast independently, which has been wonderful and fun. But we're going to be moving to Feral, which is where uh, Doughboys and my favorite Murder and a bunch of really great podcasts are as well. Um, so there's that. But aside from that, uh, secret stuff. Okay. All right. Cool. Uh, is it? What is the best way to get a hold of you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Allie Gertz. Uh, I'm at Allie Gertz on all the things, AllieGertz.com. 
Alliards everywhere. Uh, also, it- there is a hologram of me singing in the Detroit airport. So, if you, <laughs> this is not a joke. Uh, the people that did the Tupac um, hologram for some reason made a hologram of me. I am singing at the airport in Detroit. I'm singing my Millhouse song, and I think maybe a song called "Creepy Cool." I I have never been more jealous of a person until right <laughs> until right this second. Uh, it is very cool. <laughs> God, you luck. Uh, okay, well, I if I never wanted to go to Detroit, I'll be honest with you, but now I just might need to find a layover just to check that out. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, so you meant, you mentioned real quick the Simpsons pod is going to Feral Audio. Um, yes. Is is the best way just to go to? Uh, I mean, is iTunes RSS going to change for that? Uh, I don't know how that will work. Uh, I imagine. It'll all be pretty easy and straightforward. My hope is everything will still be on iTunes and easy to get to. You can check them out, of course, at Simpsons Pod on Twitter as well. Thank you. Um, all right. Well, well, thank you so much, Ali. I really, I really do appreciate you coming on the show and, and talking to me today. You bet. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, no, no, no problem. No problem at all. For the rest of you, there's a few ways you can get a hold of me. Uh, I am on Facebook, facebook.com slash S4YA podcast, Instagram, S4YA underscore podcast. That's the same as Twitter, S4YA underscore podcast. Email S4YA podcast at gmail.com. Call 860-GO-TZ-POD website. I'm at apatheticenthusiasm.com. Also still on geekade.com. And of course, iTunes, Stitcher, any podcatcher ever. You can listen to any of the shows. Uh, hey, go out and uh, go ahead and let me know what you think of the show. Go ahead and rate it. I, I sincerely appreciate it. Um, and until next time, I am Brandon Cruz, and this is Submitted for Your Approval. <laughs>